Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Yeah, you know how sometimes people change a little bit, maybe? If they have a really successful podcast... I don't know what it is, but there's something I've just noticed something a little bit different about Barbara and Johnny. Stressful day and need to chill out. Then join us in the Lit Lounge for 15 minutes and listen to short story hunters from Litopia. Available on Apple Podcast and all leading podcast platforms. Every Friday, short story hunters, written in a flash by you. There is something. There's definitely something, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, speaking of short story hunters, um, last week's first time guest, extremely well received, Annie Summerlee. She's got a short story on this week's special edition of Short Story Hunters. So you can go and subscribe to that. It's lutopia.com slash hunters. Let's see who we got on the show today. Aha! She's a widely acclaimed YA novelist. It's a very warm welcome back for Louisa Reed. And you thrill to her narration. Now you can chill to her visualization. It's author and pop-up narrator, Ali G. Louisa, great to have you back. How's the uh, past few months been for you? Good, good, thank you. Really busy and um, uh, school, obviously, teaching and um, working and writing and all of those things but yeah glad that the sun's been shining and life's getting back to normal in a way yeah it is sort of normal it's quasi normal here in london but um that'll probably change soon you've got a book recommendation for us this week louisa Mm. um it's called the girl with the louding voice and it's an amazing book um it's just it's a book that has the best thing about it is its voice in a way i think oh. um the, the story is something as a story i feel like um loads of people will really really enjoy because it's that kind of um finding yourself and finding your power and your and uh, the the narrator is so feisty and so and, and so vibrant and so um and so full of life despite mm. really really difficult circumstances so i thoroughly recommend it it's wonderful well, a recommendation from you counts for a heck of a lot ali nice to have you back <laughs> great to be here oh, you, got, you got a little bit of sun there today isn't that i wonderful? have yeah no it's, yeah. it's been brilliant Spring is definitely here. Yeah, it's a bit cold too, but we're not going to complain. We are moving out of lockdown, and that's not bad. You got a book recommendation as well? I have. It's it's the Last Chance Hotel. It's a middle grade fiction because I write I write middle grade, so I have to have to read lots of middle grade, which is a complete treat, frankly, because there's some lovely, lovely books out there. Um, And it's a bit like I suppose it's J.K. Rowling's meets um, Agatha Christie. So um, in a fantastical setting, we have a murder. We have a murdered body, and uh, and mm. young Seppi trying to prove his innocence. Seppi. Um, so no, it's good fun. It's a good fun read, and it's well put together. Brilliant! Thank you very much. Two YA. Sounds good. Excellent. They both sound brilliant, don't they? <laughs> we'll have to swap. <laughs> I have my expectations for our guests this week. I tell you. Make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com. What we'd love you to do, please, if you want to get on the show in any reasonable sort of time. Let's see um, what happened after last week's show. 
Right. So, the numbers. Litvik by Kelly Henrahan scored 40% on the show, and you gave it... 41%. Mm. Litvik again from Kelly A. Johnson with Heaven's Back Door, 60 on the show. And from you... 58%. Actually, let's call that 59. Should we be generous? Boom Boom's Last Call. That's a heck of a title. Crime Mystery from Jesse Carnahan. 65 on the show from you... Ah, 60. Still not tracking too bad, actually. Interesting new uh, voting system we got. Seems to be working. More crime from Elliot Patrick with Percocet Blues. We said 75%. And you said uh, 61%. So we, we kind of fell out there. But never mind. Let's see what happened to Fatal Trade, a police procedural by Brian Price. And that scored joint first, actually, on the show. 75%. And you gave it... Just over 70%. So, I think we more or less agree that you, Brian, were the winner. Last week's winner. Many congratulations. And Brian's also the author of Crime Writing, How to Write the Science. Um, and that's available from his website, crimewriterscience.co.uk. Oh, we've got a review in. This is from... Owen Egan, pop-ups was the catalyst that made me pull the trigger without this platform. I'd probably have tinkered, he says, for years and achieved nothing. For me, pop-up submissions is compulsive Sunday evening viewing. Yes, we love that. Thank you. Every week I learn so much. Thank you and thank you. Let's see what's our first submission today. Incarnate. Rescue of a lost ghost. It's science fiction and it's from Jeremy. And I warn you, that's kind of the flavour of the show today. It's a, it's a little bit sort of paranormal, parapsychological. It's a little bit surreal. This is Jeremy's blurb. Ever wondered how ghosts are made? Well, if you travel back in time and get lost, you'll find out. In the 22nd century, time travel is a recreational activity. The UFOs that we sometimes spot are tour buses. The danger... Stranded tourists turn into ghosts. That's what happened to 16-year-old Rachel, who was forcibly separated from her 19th century school tour. She must navigate a world of ghosts, mercenaries and other horrors while keeping herself whole for long enough to catch a ride back. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Uh, let me tell you about Jeremy. Uh, I'm a 47-year-old married man with three children. Thanks for the detail. Kate loves the idea already. You've got some friends here. Uh, South African born, moved to Tel Aviv with my family 10 years ago, worked in high tech. Uh, turned out that commercial storytelling was my strongest skill set, whether it was pitching a dream to venture capitalists or engaging staff and students. When I'm not working, I'm learning Hebrew, homebrewing beer, uh, and 3D printing unsolicited bright green home decorations for my wife. Rescue of a Lost Ghost is my debut work of fiction and the first in the Incarnate Trilogy. And blow me down with a feather. Somehow, we've managed to persuade Ali to give it her very best reading. The first page. Fatal Trade by Brian. Read by Emily. Chapter One. The small, grey-haired woman grimaced as she entered the police station, pulling a tartan shopping trolley containing her husband's... Right, sorry about that. That is... I, I, this is a live show, guys, so I'm going to have to change all that. Here we go. And 
talk amongst yourselves just for a moment while we get this week's submissions lined up, which is going to happen right now. There we go. Here we go. Incarnate, Rescue of a Lost Ghost by Jeremy, read by Allison. Chapter 1, Rachel, 1893. Edvard Munch mashed the clumped bristles at the end of his brush into his tired easel and soaked up another helping of oranges and reds. He looked up at the sunset for the hundredth time and then back down at his depiction of it on the canvas. The shades he had created were dazzling, with mad, bending, swirling strokes. Yet his painting lacked meaning. There was no message. He'd produced yet another still life. His hand lingered at the canvas as he patiently studied the path that ran round Eckberg Hill overlooking Oslo. And then Rachel suddenly appeared. She sprinted towards him, her hands at her cheeks framing her desperate expression. Munch lowered his brush as he watched her approach. She was a curious mix of innocence and panic. Their eyes met, and she slowed down for an instant. Her glance suggested that she recognised him. She passed him and came to stop several feet away on the slight incline, hugging her arms around her as she searched the hill. Munch called out to her, "'Excuse me, miss!' From her vantage point, Rachel turned to look at him. "'I know this may be a strange request, but would you mind doing that again?' Munch saw her puzzled expression and asked again, "'The way you ran towards me, with your hands?' He raised his hands to his face, mimicking a scream. She thought for a moment, and quickly realised that she was talking to Edvard Munch. He was painting the scream, and she was his titular screamer. She shook her head and turned to face away, continuing to search the surrounds for a tour group. Munch continued to stare at Rachel, switching his attention between her and the disappearing sunset. Then he plunged his brush back into the easel and got back to work. The sun set quickly. Munch packed his art away and departed, leaving Rachel bruised, battered and frightened. She was alone, 5,000 miles and 230 years from home, with no way to get back. She had been separated from her school tour three hours previously and was still hoping to find them. They had been on the way to the hill when she was grabbed and assaulted. They had almost certainly left her behind. She should be shivering, hatless and scarfless in her flimsy jacket. It worried her that she felt nothing. Most of the locals were indoors, and smoke rose from the chimneys throughout the city below. A wagon approached, the horses snorting as they trudged along. The driver, a cloaked and bearded man, squinted at Rachel in disbelief. "'Ride to town, young lady. You'll die of cold out here,' he shouted from the wagon. Rachel shook her head. She couldn't speak, so she moved to the side of the path and gestured that he'd be on his way. Rachel had heard the stories of lost tourists turning into ghosts. Would she never see her father and Daniel ever again? She wandered back to the centre of town, passing a small group of vagrants huddled around a fire on the outskirts. The dancing reflection of the fires and street lamps against the snow lent a serenity that contrasted with her rising levels of panic. Relax. She still had time to figure things out. She felt tired, but had lost all sense of hunger, which is probably a good thing, since she would have to steal food to eat. She found a barn next to an awkward, eerie mansion, with a single light shining in the upstairs window. 
Rachel approached the barn door and tried to open it, but her hand struggled to grip the latch. She panicked. Had she already started dematerializing? She concentrated and calmed herself. Then she grasped the latch again. It worked. She entered the barn and collapsed on the nearest stack of hay. She closed her eyes and drifted off into a fitful sleep. Joe, 21.30. Joe stared at the blue glowing numbers on his sense alarm. 4.48 a.m. He'd been awake for hours already. Just 12 more minutes and he could start his day. He knew that if Daniel heard him from down the passage, he would want to help pack, which meant hours of begging to come along. So, um, the uh, chat room is much occupied by easels. <laughs> I don't know why exactly. Bless them. Sometimes they, they make a lot of sense to me, and sometimes I don't understand and it makes me feel very stupid. Um, but anyway, it's easels, definitely, not weasels, I think. Um, and I tell you, tell you what, we are uh, lucky to have Ali, the narrator, here today. That doesn't always, it doesn't often happen, actually, that we have the narrator actually on the show. Because uh, normally what happens, folks, as you probably know, but let me tell you in any case, is that our two guests absolutely don't see the submissions beforehand, just like the chat room. So you're getting first impressions, you know, the things that really count. But in this case, Ali, I'd like to know from you, what was it like reading it? Um, it was. I, I enjoyed the concept. Um, it was actually quite smooth to read, um, but there were some things that needed to be sorted out, as it were. Um, for example, we had continuing several times in the same sentence, and of course, continuing is a bit of a weak expression. Yeah. Um, there were some cliches in there. Some stuff. Um, there was quite a lot of incongruity. Cause at one point, she didn't. She seemed to recognise him, and then a bit later, she just recognised him. Um, and there were mm. a couple of. Oh yes, yeah. He packed his stuff away. Um, um, in the time that she's still hanging around and then she seems to be, you know, setting off to get to town. Um, yeah. And things like the easel. I know what they're going on about, actually. What are they saying about the easel? Well, it, it's actually the palette that he would have been scooping up his um, paints oh. from. And he don't, you don't get back to, you know, you're oh. not painting on an easel and you're not collecting paint from an easel. So, oh. um, um, so I suspect that's where the, the easel discussion is coming from. So, oh. so I enjoyed the idea very much, but I think it, it needs a bit of uh, bit of sorting out, a bit of work on it to, to yeah. make it really flow properly. Yeah, and Annie's saying, um, I'm struggling to get into this for some reason, maybe because we didn't meet her prior to the, the assault. I don't know what the assault was, actually. Did that make any sense to you, Annie? No, and I think that's the other thing. Is, I mean, there was a very throwaway line. Here she is, I can't remember how many years out of yeah. kilter she is, 300 years or something. You know, literally thrown away lines. So you almost want to go back and go, pardon? You know, where did that yeah. come from? Yeah. And and she couldn't speak. Again, that wasn't clear until later on it said she couldn't. You know, yeah. meanwhile, she'd just been smiling and waving at Munch. You know, so, you know, the big concepts seem to have been all slightly thrown away. While we were a big knowing concept. Little, little <laughs> Michelle really says, I want Ali to, to write my book when it gets published. <laughs> oh, I'm in. Oh, that's lovely. Get some, you could charge for that. Get some money for that. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Louisa, this, this it doesn't say, but it feels very YA to me. It says science fiction, but it's got a YA feel to it, hasn't it? Okay, we got a, a fit. Oh, the, ooh, look! <laughs> <laughs> this is exciting. Ooh, look! A tour of the Louisa Mansion. Huh? Oh, this is a bonus, isn't it? 
Well, the um, the internet keeps um, stopping and starting and stopping and starting. So Naughty I'm just internet. trying to find a place where it's going to actually keep yeah. going. So we'll try here. Try outside that, on the I, roof. I, that might that might be yes. interesting for us. I might have to go outside on the roof. Yeah. Uh, at this rate, I will. So, yes, hello. Here I am in a different location. Nice. Well, you can do that for each submission. That, that, I, I don't think it was interested. Um, so it, it's got a very YA feel to me, this has. It says science fiction, but it feels YA. What do you think? Well, I didn't think it felt hugely YA. I didn't read that, hear it and think, oh, yeah, that's that smacks it of YA. And I think... Um, uh, for me, I, I liked it. I think it was it was it was engaging. But um, as um, Ali was saying, it, mm. there was a lot there that was just thrown away. Um, people have been commented on on an assault, this bruise, battered, yes. frightened. It was like, yes. whoa, how come? What? When did we yeah. hear about that? And it seems really like an important thing, doesn't it? And it does, doesn't um, it? We, would like to feel like uh, we understood where that was coming from i think yeah. um and i've seen in the chat kate mentioned as well that that's there's a lot of telling where there could be some mm. more showing the mansion for example we're yeah. told it's awkward and eerie better to show it and describe it and get that atmosphere and and uh, and so on i liked the munch bit um but then again he just dis sort of disappeared and it, it was that was yeah. a bit disconcerting as well because I presume because it, we've opened with with Munch he must be important but um, yeah. then he then he he evaporated as if a ghost himself so yeah, uh, yeah she seems to know quite a lot about ghosts too she talks about dematerializing um, if I turned into a ghost I wouldn't really know what was happening to me um, uh -huh. so she seems to be a bit of an expert on the on the topic of becoming a ghost I guess it could be YA I think you'd have to really um, tighten up and and make that kind of action come yeah. to, to fore i i feel like um for for the impact there yeah. Um, but yeah it's, it's an interesting concept certainly interesting concept definitely um we'd love you to give it um some numbers please from one to five five being the best one being not good i'm gonna give it three very straightforward thank you very much louisa um i'm going to say that i found it a bit of a neutral editorial voice jeremy um everyone thinks it's a nice concept definitely my theory that it could be ya would of course be trounced by by the fact that i don't know if many ya's actually do know who Edvard munch is um so maybe it's not, not quite so YA. we need to get more in our head why is she battered what does that mean the casual reference is something we don't know about but there's a there is a lot of telling as, as louisa said and that kind of sucks the life out of it you've got to get you've got to master this point of view thing it's not hard actually it's a, one of the basic tricks the writers have got to learn ali give us some numbers um yeah i did the i would <laughs> I that's not good <laughs> when ali says that you can tell it's not going to be good well no i'd like to give it five for the idea because you know i think it's okay. a great idea concept but five but what you saw in front of you how many was a three was a three because it does need quite a bit of tidying up yeah it does i'm not going to go three i'm going to go two sorry that's probably a bit mean but it's it's point of view i want to get right in her head i want to see it from her mm -hmm. point of view i want to feel what she's feeling and we're not quite doing that nice concept but um i don't think the execution is quite there yet jeremy but thank you very much for that let's see you're um you're setting the um the scene for everybody else jeremy so it's a 55 which is more than reasonable i hope you're happy we're pretty happy actually oh yes let's see what's next shall we
Second submission of the day comes from Edwin. Is history slash memoir? Hello, Eddie. Is it, is it nice weather with you? I'm so pleased. First time, yeah. Um, this is you. This is, of course, Edwin Eddie. Yes. It's a very exciting moment for both of us here. This is your blurb from the origins of Stonehenge to the death of Diana, Princess, Princess of Wales. Come on, get your spelling right, Eddie. Princess of Wales, Princess of Wales. We are often reluctant to let the truth get in the way of a good story. Tourist guide, Edwin Lerner, that's you takes a rigorous look at well-known tales in fact or fake. Was Richard III a misunderstood king? Did William Shakespeare write the plays and poems attributed to him? And was lesbianism never made illegal because Queen Victoria did not believe two women could have sex? Fact or fake answers these and other questions. Right, right let me tell everyone about you. Um, you're not a 47-year-old uh, married man. You are a mucker. Don't need your age. Is actually you don't need to do that on a submission. Uh, tourist guide, writer, admit to having sexed up a few stories in my time. Says Eddie. In the cause of entertainment, my writing style is rigorously factual, uh, but interspersed with humour and personal experience. Think Hunter Davis, yes, or Bill Bryson, even more, yes. I've written articles and a couple of books on tourist guiding and edit a monthly magazine for guides. Fact or fake is an attempt to write a book that will enter the mainstream and I'm keen to find representation rather than plough my own lonely furrow. Well, we need to do the very best we can for you and that would be K. The first page. Fact or fake by Edwin Lerner, read by K. Stone circles and white horses, were they made by aliens? How old are they? Tourist guides have a curious relationship with dates. I once heard a colleague who was conducting a tour for my group say to them that she would not swamp you with dates. Her idea was that this was to be a fun occasion and not a history lesson with lots of numbers to remember about what people got up to in ancient times. I was not so sure, although I kept my opinion to myself. There is nothing more unsettling for a group out to enjoy themselves and learn something at the same time, as two people in charge of the party obviously at loggerheads, whether it is the driver and the guide, or the guide and the tour manager, which I was at the time. As a tour manager, your job is to count suitcases, allocate rooms and jolly people along. A guide, on the other hand, gives out facts, points out places of interest, and tells a few corny jokes before, hopefully, pocketing some tips and going home. Being a talkative sort of person and having qualified as a guide, I often rolled the two jobs into one. People expect interesting information and some good stories when they're on a tour. And as long as you know when to stop talking and keep quiet, things zip along better if you keep your group well informed about what they're seeing. The problem with dates is that people expect them even if they do not particularly enjoy them. If I take a party of tourists to a castle or a cathedral and offer to show them around, they will inevitably ask me when it was built if I do not tell them. Actually, they often ask me when it was built even if I have told them several times. But that's another matter. I long ago reconciled myself to only being half listened to by some people in the groups I lead. As long as they can remember where our coach is and when to come back to it, that might be the most a few of them take in. Dates are like Christmas decorations. They are an adornment and you can live without them. 
but the tree looks a bit bare if they're not there and the point of the exercise is somehow lost without their presence. When it comes to ancient sites, however, precision is impossible. Our ancestors did not leave such information when they built the stone circles or carved out the white horses on the hillside. This makes them rife for speculation and, nature abhorring a vacuum, along came Eric von Daniken in the late 1960s to suggest that they had been built after aliens landed from outer space and instructed our ancestors what to do when they erected Stonehenge, the Pyramids of Egypt and the Nazca Lines in Peru, amongst others. You may snort all you like at von Daniken, but he stumbled on a rich seam when he put his ideas on paper, starting with the publication in 1969 of The Chariots of the Gods. Von Daniken is a colourful character, a native of Switzerland who has spent time behind bars for financial irregularities. He used to run hotels there and used a little creative accounting to finance his alien explaining endeavours and ended up serving a year in prison as a result. I sometimes wonder if the real reason he was locked up was because he single-handedly contradicted the image of the Swiss as a nation of a dull but reliable people who could be trusted to look after your money and produce accurate timepieces. Whatever the nature of his crimes, being incarcerated did not stop von Daniken. He simply used his time inside to write more books and he has been coining it in ever since with 65 million in book sales, a YouTube channel and his own website. Thank you very much though. Um, Kai, wonderful reading as always. Uh, Lex kind of sums up in the mood of the, the genius room, as I like to call it. It says, you have to make plain facts interesting. And this is from someone with a decades-deep National Geographic collection. <laughs> yeah, Louisa. Um, yeah, I feel like there's, oh, this person can obviously write, uh, but I didn't feel like there was much in the way of kind of energy there for me to get. Uh, um, and I was waiting to be entertained. I was waiting to feel like, what's what, what are we getting at here? Where's the point to this? Where's the, the humour or the, mm. the fresh take or the, the wit? Uh, Bill Bryson's writing, obviously, is so full of personality. And I felt that this was just a bit dry um, and could do with a bit more enlivening. Um, I felt like it was we were going to have some anecdotes, but then they never sort of emerged and they never they never came to be. And I wasn't sure where we were going with von Daniken and uh, what what that information was was there for. So it was just it just stayed a bit too abstract yeah. and dry. And for this genre, I feel you really need to have loads and loads of uh, um, personality in the writing. So that that would be my. Um, yeah, that would be yeah. my... Because it is, it is a non-fiction submission, and we don't see many of those now, actually, which kind of you know reflects the way that publishing has changed, of course. Do you read much non-fiction, Louisa? Mm-mm. No. Not mm. much at all. The, but the last book I was reading was brilliant nonfiction. Um, the, not the la the last nonfiction book I read was brilliant. It was about Keats and F. Scott Fitzgerald and their connection mm. between their lives and obviously a, a, a century apart. But how that how Fitzgerald had been so um, inspired by Keats's work mm. and and the really interesting links and connections between their lives and mm. the things that they had written about despite that that huge gulf. So that that was. Very Really, really engaging because there was so there was so much there to to visualize and to the detail here yeah. I, I felt we weren't getting that kind of detail that I, that i'd have liked that's what you want isn't it from that sort of non-fiction mm. alley 
Um, yeah, no, I felt it, it really didn't live up to its blurb. We were promised something that was, you know, hilarious bits of, well, hilarious, but it was fun, um, and bits of history, and we actually got none of that. We, it was just a piece effectively justifying why dates would be presumably included in there. Yeah. Um, it was all, I mean, things like the very, very long sentences. I think there, there was one halfway through about Christmas, which is about five words long, and the rest of them were just, <laughs> they sort of went on and on. Um, so, I, I, it was not um, enjoyable, an enjoyable mm-hmm. read. I think dry is definitely um, definitely the, the correct thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think I think it needs, yeah, it needs to be spruced up. It just needs to become amusing and worth worth sticking with, really. He so also, he, at one point, yeah. almost seemed to be insulting the public. And you think, well, hang on a minute, that's me, you know, when he's going on about, you know, people just about managing to remember where the coach is. And you think, well, you know, actually, you know, <laughs> well, he knows I could what he's be talking one of the people about. going and visiting that castle, you know. Well, yes, so, but you know. he's got... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry you, you took offence to that. Obviously, you had an unfortunate incident exactly, with the tour yes. guide somewhere. <laughs> dear, dear. Um, all right, give us, give us a number then. For me, two. Yeah, a two. Oh, sorry. Oh, come back, come back to Louisa for a number. Same two. Two. Oh. Eddie, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make sorry. you happy today. Um, let me uh, give you a quick take on this um, from my commercial point of view, because that's the way I look at it. Got to make money out of these things, haven't we? Yeah. Make money for the author, money for the agent, and money for the publisher. It's a virtuous circle. So um, you are writing. You're trying. You're, you're, you know, this sort of sits firmly in a in a in a tradition, basically, of, of publishing that goes right back to Ripley's Believe It or Not. Um, probably, I don't know how old that, that that is actually as a publishing franchise. I'm guessing it's the best part of a hundred years now, if not eighty years at least. I've thought. Um, and then I'm, I'm just trying to think about where that went and i remember a very successful series of books by william poundstone in the 80s and 90s called big secrets bigger secrets even bigger secrets secrets you can't believe they're so amazingly big they're big and that you know he did lots of books like that and they were all kind of the same thing actually they all sold very well and then of course this thing happened called the internet and that kind of put the kibosh on a lot of non-fiction publishing particularly this kind of thing so where where can you go with this i think the only place i can think of to go is sort of john ronson territory actually which is kind of what louisa was saying and take it a bit that way and the interesting thing for me and i did check this out when i looked at your submission because we don't want to be too libelous of living people on this show do we i did check out um eric von daniken everything says true at least it's in wikipedia so you know fairly well protected I think he's a fascinating character. He he did this embezzlement, not a huge amount of money. Not so, no, we're not talking money, you know venture capitalist embezzlement. Who no one ever goes to jail for those things, of course. Um, but he did in order to finance research for his books, which is kind of you kind of you know you kind of a little sympathy there. It's like the producer who does does the same thing, credit card fraud or something to finance their own you know art project movie. You've got a little bit of warmth in your heart for people like that. Um, He's a total, absolute character as Von Daniken. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have started with him big time, actually. Um, but anyway, so and also the other thing is uh, two other things. First of all, you do have a voice. You've got a nice chatty style, and keep that. 
if you do, you know, writing courses, writing lessons, don't let them take your, your chatty voice away. Really important. I like that. It's very personal. People people relate to that. Um, and what else? What else? What else? Yeah, you're writing yourself into this. It's what writers very often do when they start writing. Right, right, and, they, all the, and they write stuff that is important to them. It's not really important to the reader. And they're writing this themselves into it. And very often the best advice you can give them is write your first chapter, throw it away and then start writing the book properly. So, for all those reasons, it is a two from me, but I hope we've been encouraging to you. Let's see what the chat room did. They gave you a three, and good for them too. So you got a 45 there, Eddie. I hope you feel you've got good value for money. Yes, I do. Should we uh, squeeze another one in? I think it's going rather well, don't you? This is from Aaron. It's alternative history. Giant in the Shadow is uh, Aaron's title. I'm going to read you his, his blurb. When James and Jane are gifted a time machine, oh, sujet du jour, from a, a mysterious relative, they embark on a journey to kill Adolf Hitler and prevent the Holocaust. However, after a series of encounters, first with Hitler as a young child and then as a young man, they decide instead to help the failed artist achieve his dream of entering Vienna's Academy of Fine Arts, hoping that by changing Adolf's fate, they can avert the Holocaust without shedding blood. That's an interesting concept, is it not? <clears throat> yeah, let me tell you about that one. Uh, my undergraduate degrees, he says, uh, degree was in history and English literature, and my love for these two disciplines has led me to seek a delicate balance between historical accuracy and raw narrative impact. Hello, Aaron. I see you there. Nice to have you along. Um, the story includes several fictionalized historical figures and is based on extensive research into Adolf Hitler's early life and the psychological damage he suffered during his traumatic childhood. As a black writer, I have a particularly sen I have particular sensitivity to issues regarding race and prejudice. And through this story, I've explored the stark parallels between the racial tensions of early 20th century Vienna and our own contemporary political climate. This is very interesting indeed. And I think the least we can do is to ask Emily to give it her best. The first page. Giant in the Shadow by Aaron. Read by Emily. Prologue. That fucking dog. Father climbs out of his chair. He staggers across the living room, opens the front door and disappears into the darkness outside. Doggy's loud barks soon turn to quiet whimpers, muffled by the sound of angry grunts and heavy strikes. I squeeze my pencil, hold my breath and wait. Father's wheezing curses creep through the living room. Angela and Junior are sitting on the floor, their eyes stuck like glue to the pages of their books. Mother starts to clean. She hums loudly as she cleans and moves fast for someone with such a giant belly. First she dusts the statues of the saints on the mantel. Then she licks her thumb and rubs a stain from the mirror. Then she readjusts the portrait of Kaiser Franz Joseph hanging on the wall. And then, once it's straight, she runs her finger along the bottom of the frame to check for dirt. She finds dirt. She always finds dirt. She wipes the dirt from her finger using one of the handkerchiefs she keeps pinned to her apron. Father returns, 
pink-faced and panting, and slumps into his chair. I perch frozen on the floor, watching the fire's light glimmer off the shiny gold buttons fastening father's imperial tunic. He sips his whiskey, opens his paper and belches. Now I can breathe. I go back to my drawing, a picture of mother and I inside a big house atop the Postlingberg Hill. Mother fluffs a pillow and sits on the sofa. Look, mother, look at my picture. She takes the picture and studies it closely. Beautiful, is that me? Yup, and that's me. My little artist, she says. She pinches my cheek and gives me back the picture. I walk over to Angela and Junior at the other end of the room and hold up my drawing. Look at my picture. Junior ignores me. Let me see it, Angela says. I hand her the picture. Very nice. Where am I? You're not in it. It's just me and mother. Surprise, surprise, Junior says. A strange smile crosses his lips. He puts down his book and holds out his hand. Let me see it. Angela gives the picture to Junior. Very good, Adolf, Junior says. He tilts the picture in his hands and brings it closer to his face. I think this might be your best picture ever. You think so? Absolutely. Junior leans in and whispers. You should show it to father. Junior, don't, Angela says. Junior shoves the picture back into my hand. Go on, bet you he'll like it. You really think so? Adolf, Angela says. Don't. Junior turns sharply to Angela. Shut up, he growls. Angela turns away and picks up her book. Show it to him now, Junior says. The flames from the hearth cast a flickering shadow over father's face. I take a few steps forward. He raises his hand and I freeze. He strokes the long, wiry moustache that stretches out past his fat face like a rat's whiskers. Then he picks up a match, lights a cigarette and blows the smoke through his nose. I walk on. Each step summons a loud creak from the floorboards. The creaks stab at the silence and grow louder the closer I get. I look up at father. He looks practically a giant sitting silent in his red leather chair. I lick my chapped lips, rub my tired eyes and hold up my picture. Look, father. Nothing. Adolf, mother says faintly. Leave your father be. But he hasn't even seen it yet. I stretch out my arms further so he can get a better look. Do you like it? It's me and mother. I'm trying to read. We're in a big house all by ourselves and... Father snatches the picture and tosses it aside. I'm trying to read, he bellows. He raises his fist, but Mother dives in and picks me up before he can strike. Shh, come here, my angel. She presses my face against her chest and carries me to the sofa. She strokes my hair, her delicate fingers working hard to keep the tears at bay. Wow, well, Aaron, you got a pretty strong reaction there. From me at the genius room. Hannah says, I don't want this sub to end. It's a five from me. Wow. Louisa. Yes. A really, really well written. Um, and uh, just just so so um, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Confident in establishing relationships and setting and this family dynamic between everybody. Um, I felt that that was really, really well done. I do have... A- a slight feeling of queasiness reading a, a story about 
Adolf Hitler, mm. where I felt that we're looking at, you know, Adolf Hitler as this sympathetic little boy. And mm. uh, it's, 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 it's hard for me to, I don't know, I'm not sure I want to empathise with one of the most criminal, wicked mm. That's, that, is, that is an issue, isn't it? It definitely is yeah, an issue. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so um, that's interesting. It, it's certainly challenging as a reader to to think about that. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot here. It's an, it really interesting, and, and uh, I think it's it's very accomplished in many ways. So um, as as people in the chat room are saying, that they're 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 loving it. So it it depends where it goes really, and um, okay. and what happens next, and how th- and how things carry on. Yes, it, but it I'd totally say this does. Is definitely. This writer okay. can write. Brilliant. But all right. Well, based on the words you've seen in, in, in front of you, how many are you going to give it? I think I'm going to give it four. It's a good start, Aaron. Very good start, Ali. How did you feel about it? <laughs> Um, I felt there was, uh, firstly, I like the title. I, I thought that was really good. Um, mm. I thought there was an awful lot to justify, you know, being given a time machine. You think, actually, if, you know, they're lying around on Amazon, you know, why are not more people doing this? Um, it, it does seem a big old concept. Um, and also yeah. to go back to decide to kill somebody you have never met. You know, again, it seems it's quite a lot to justify. Having said which, he writes very well. Um, yeah. and, and I began to believe he probably can actually justify all that. He, he in so very few words, he gave an extremely good portrait of, of the family life, the family dynamics, you know, how they were relating to each other, what she was dusting, gave a good idea about the family and, and yeah. their beliefs, as it were. Um, so I, I thought it was extremely well written. The dialogue was believable. It, it did seem very comfortable. Um, so I, I thought it was an extremely well written piece. Mm, I'm just looking at Alexa's comment there. Um, when life gives you Hitler, should you make Hitler aid? Oh, no. 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 It's, it's, we're going to get into springtime for Hitler in a minute. Oh, and please don't. It's, I mean, it's, there's a huge issue here, isn't it, really? And uh, this is something that I know publishers are going to be very sensitive to. That is that Hitler is, is no longer, he's, never, he's not a person. He, he wasn't a person. He's a metaphor for evil, basically. And by humanizing Hitler, some people will say that's the wrong thing to do. You shouldn't even attempt to go there. Some people will just stop and close their minds. I'm not one of them. I'm very interested in the psychological basis for human history, actually. So I'm, you know, completely behind this approach. But I think it's going to divide people. Which side do you... Do you have that divide you come on, Ali? I think my problem is is quite how much it's fact and how much it's fiction. As long as it's actual mm. facts, I think even they can be very uncomfortable to look at. But as long as it genuinely is fact, then then I think you have to look at them um, and how these people are created. If you're trying to fictionalise it and perhaps get more sympathy for somebody who actually obviously was a monster, then mm. I don't think that's justifiable. So so it really yeah. depends quite how many liberties he's taking. Put it that way. Okay. And the people will believe it. That's the problem. You know, if you stick it in a book, if it's the written word, yeah. people will tend to believe it. You know, even if your research is pretty thin. So, and, and right. I don't know how much he's You're done. You're right. So. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult, actually. Um, what, one of the things I, I really like about this is the basic concept that, yeah, fine, time machines. We have a lot of time machines, especially on the show today. But you, you go back in, in time and you. Uh, 
you kill Hitler, right? So people have been thinking about that for a long time, and it's kind of a basic philosophical question. But there's a twist, you know, Aaron gives it a very nice twist. And basically, it's... I don't think it's, it's too much to say that it's possibly hinting at the future of our species, really. You know, are we going to, you know, respond to hate with more hatred, or are we going to, as the Christians like to do, turn the other cheek? I think it's a very big issue, very big questions. I could be beautifully done, actually. Um, Ali, need a number from you? Um, I, I think the concept is a tricky one, and, and as I say, I just don't quite know how he's going to pull it off and, and quite how well researched it's going to turn out to be. But in terms of simply the quality of the writing that was put in front, I'd actually give it a five. I think it oh, was wow. really well put together. Wow. <laughs> wow. Don't expect that. <laughs> Always full of surprises, our alley is. Yeah. I know. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, an inveterate optimist. I believe that Aaron can pull this off. Um, it totally depends on the execution. If it's inept, then it's going to be worse than bad. Um, but, you know, I'm an optimist, I'm a believer, and I'm going to go for Yeah. Georgina's given a five. As I'm, oh, There's some fascinating comments in the chat room here. Oh, yeah, wow. And Cora says, good to know how monsters are made. <laughs> As a mother, says Michelle, I can uh, feel sorry for his mother. Georgina, five, want to read this now. Annie, go for four. To be fair, going to art school myself didn't turn me into Mother Teresa, says Wagamon Hart. Turn me into a much, much better drinker. Very good, very good. Let's see what the uh, chat room has plumped for, shall we? And they've gone for a four, two. That's a towering 85% you've got there, Aaron, actually. I don't know. I don't know anyone's going to beat that. But they're going to try. And maybe they're going to try it with the next one. Let's see who the next submission is from, shall we? It's from Rebecca. It's mystery slash thriller slash crime. It's called Broken Bonds. And I'll read you Rebecca's blur. Broken Bonds is a tale of family feuds that leads to a fatal turn of events. The Rikers, on the outside, are a family that has it all. They have power, influence, and love on their side. If you look beneath the surface, however, you will find heartbreak, anger, and buried secrets. Lena Simons is the stepsister of the Riker siblings, and by all accounts, a bit of a wallflower. But Lena, too has her secrets. Let me tell you about Rebecca. Um, I'm 22 years old, trainee teacher who works in rural Suffolk. How idyllic. I'm writing to you to share my manuscript. First time writer, have little to no clue about this process. You sound terrified. And possible next steps, but I'm at least hoping for some feedback on my work. Don't worry, that's what you're going to get. I've always loved reading and watching thrillers to the extent that my ideas for my own began forming. Broken bonds have allowed my imagination to run wild. It's let me discover the part of me that loves to write, loves to create stories and find mysteries and characters that didn't exist until I conjure them up. And that's what writers do. And that's the kick you get from writing, especially when it works. And we're going to... I'm uh, going to make sure you're in safe hands today, Rebecca, because it's Martin to read. The first page. Broken Bond by Rebecca, read by Martin. Chapter One. 
As Lena Simons watched her clothes being wrenched around the confines of the large metal chamber within the washing machine, her patience began to wear thin. She was 21, supposedly in the prime of her life, living for the moment, doing the kind of things that she would later have the time to regret. Yet there she was, stuck in the relative confines of the prison-like household that was her life. The house was big, airy and more spacious than any one person could ever need. But unfortunately, living in this dragon's den disguised as a castle was a reminder of everything she want that she wanted to forget. This house wasn't hers, never would be. In fact, if she curled up in a corner for even half an hour, all the other residents would likely forget that she existed. Lena sighed. It's what you get from being the child of the second wife officially part of the family, but realistically just a hindrance. Her mother didn't care, and that made it so much worse. The only thing that she, she seemed to love was finding a man with a bigger bank balance than the last. And although it was difficult to admit, Lena knew that her life would probably just follow suit of the only role model she had ever had. As Lena contemplated her current situation, she could feel her lower body losing all feeling. She slapped both of her hands against the hard tile floor that she was sitting on and lifted herself slowly. She stretched and felt her bones sigh in relief as she grabbed the washing basket she had just emptied, <clears throat> her bare feet padding through the vast house like an echo. In the distance, Lena could hear her mother talking on the phone, a phone that was simply pointless as she neither knew how to use it or earn the money to pay for it. As Lena's thoughts overtook her senses, she found herself walking straight into a tall, solid figure. As she looked up, she was relieved to see it was Harold, her stepfather. Although she hated the situation she is currently forced to live in, Lena couldn't help but smile slightly. Harold, or Harry, as he reminded her every time she misspoke, had always made her feel welcome and included in his family. With him, she felt special as if she really was someone worth loving. The problem was high-powered men with high-powered jobs were hardly ever home. Lena! Harry jerked slightly as they collided, the laundry basket falling to the ground in the scuffle. Hi, Harry, Lena said slightly distractedly as she bent to pick up the basket from the floor. Just the girl I was looking for. Do you remember that Peter Tome? Harry looked expectant and slightly excited. So much so, Lena had to focus on him once more and take in a large, indrawn breath to respond half-heartedly. Vaguely, I think. Harry continued, not being able to detect the slightest, slight hopelessness that had invaded into Lena's tone of voice recently. Well, he just called to say that he has an opening for a trainee journalist on one of his smaller papers and remembers me mentioning your interest in the field. Lena's ears perked up finally a chance to get out of this house and start building a life for herself that could enable her to be her own woman, not just a younger version of her mother. That would be... Lena felt herself begin to hyperventilate. Harry put his hands on her shoulders and bent slightly to look at her directly in the eyes and smiled. It was infectious and altogether completely charming. Lena, I get it. This is a big deal and you deserve a shot at this great opportunity. Don't worry, I understand it can be a bit emotional, he said, pulling her into her arms and patting her back affectionately.
Harry ended the ever so slightly awkward embrace, gave her a small smile and jogged back up the long twisting staircase. Lena just stood where he had left her with a shy half smile stuck to her face. She hated the way her mother had forced her to live and yes, she felt awkward sometimes not really being in the inner circle of the Riker clan, but Harry had become her safe place, a paternal figure she could trust. With this small act of kindness, he had given her life purpose and a way forward. Lena was still smiling as she wandered into the spacious kitchen. Her mother looked at her for a few seconds with a mix of disinterest and annoyance, and then continued with her call. So we are privileged to have Martin in the chat room, who's our narrator today. And a damn good job you did on that, sir. Thank you. Um, and he says, I thought this showed promise and with a bit more writing craft and experience, think this could have legs. And that's quite encouraging for you, Rebecca. Let's ask Louisa for her thoughts and advice. For some of his first novel that they've written absolutely well done good stuff um but i'd say you, um is this opening going to grab a reader and make them want to carry on reading this story am i invested in this character yes we feel she's a bit of an outsider in the family her mom's not really bothered about her she doesn't her mom doesn't seem to to be interested she's only she's a gold digger and then we've got this nice fellow harry and he's quite kind but beyond that what else is there in the in the in the first bit we've got the the house it's a dragon's den a castle a prison i thought there was quite a bit of overwriting of some mm. aspects that mm. could be um, just sharpened up and um, and uh, just really just really think about the impact of every word and every phrase um, to to ensure that you're not overdoing the writing but you're choosing the right image and making that image do lots of work for you um, so but these are all things that come with practice and experience um, I thought the first sentence the description of the washing machine was just way too much detail we just really didn't need that we've and seen then, them before um, haven't we know what they look like yes, yes. You know about machines. Yeah. um yeah so i felt it was a bit and in places there was a quite a bit of telling as well so the story is just getting established obviously the writer's trying to get tell us all sorts of things that we need to know but far better to give us um that through showing us this person's experiences and interactions with the mother for example rather than just info dumping mum hates mm. me and mum ignores me and harry's kind to me and all the rest of it um but yeah yeah there's uh it's a, it's a good it's it's a good first piece but uh not i i think i was beginning to drift off a bit to be honest yeah and i wasn't really invested sorry yeah i was i was a bit of a drifter and all um and um several people rebecca have taken to task as i am going to do as well for your presentation all right so uh, don't use uh, sans serif font it never looks good actually um uh, use garamond people often use times times roman it's all right garamond is just that little bit nicer just a little bit nicer why is it important you say where's the words that can oh, it's not the, the impression you know not the, the way it looks on paper it is the way it looks it counts for a lot you know if you're sending this in as an unsolicited submission to a publisher or an agent they've got 20 30 maybe 40 to look at that day it's it's going to give them a migraine by the time they get through to number 20 and not doing yourself any favors at all um in terms of actually you know saying read me make it a nice 
attractive looking thing so it, it you know what you were showing was a large lumps of text which i just know from experience people are going go and read that read that and, oh that looks too hard i may not even read it and you missed your chance so presentation is really important ali what did you think um, yeah, no, I mean, I thought the, the premise was good as long as it's not um, stereotypical, you know, it's not a stereotypical family and, and she does manage to feed in all this intrigue well. Um, I liked some things, like she, the concept of living, that she should be living things that she would regret later. <laughs> that was a nice way of putting it. Um, but I, I couldn't say that by the end of it I could describe her other than, you know, as a modern-day Cinderella. I couldn't describe her as a person, really. Um, yeah. and. Yeah. The, the, you know, it really was a big old info dump at the, at the start. It was and huge, there was no wasn't sort of, yeah. yeah, and there was no real sort of life to it. There was just all telling. And certain mm. things weren't credible. You know, you're talking about somebody in this era who can't use a phone. And you think, hang on a minute, you know, if all she does is she can make telephone calls on it, that's fine, you know. So it just, it seemed a bit strange. So, and, and, and I can assume that she's trying to do a lot of cat saving, as it were, in, in good save the cat tradition by making her this downtrodden person that we're trying to feel sorry for. Um, but I, I think yeah. we need a bit more life. Uh, so I we probably we need do. to... <laughs> maybe, dialogue. you know, maybe, maybe Rebecca tried first person and might make it come alive a bit more. So we're right in your head there. Yeah. And the, the question I have for you, Rebecca, is how, how are you going to make us care? Right? Because it's all about emotion. This business is entirely about emotion. How are you going to make us care? At the moment, people are saying, Ali said, I think Louisa said, info dumping, lots and lots of, you're just putting lots and lots of stuff there. You're putting an enormous amount of material for us to absorb. I often say, <laughs> I always say, actually, um, fewer words and more meaning. Get more meaning out of fewer words. See if you can do that as well. Ali, numbers, please. Um, that's a slightly tricky one, actually, because I yeah. think I'd, I'd be, I'm somewhere between a two and a three. I, I actually do think there was just really quite a lot to, to sort out in that. Yeah. Um, but I felt the, the concept potentially was, was good. But I think in, in view of the fact that there really was quite a lot to sort out, I'm afraid I'm going to go for a two. So, uh, which I apologize. Sorry. It's all right. Hey, you know what? You get you gave a five for the last one. So, uh, Ali constantly <laughs> surprises us. Just out of hearts. That's the problem. Let's see if Louise is going surprises with a number i'm afraid it's the same from me there was nothing there to yeah. excite me as a reader so it's a yeah. two Sorry. yeah all right me too sorry but you know what rebecca's 22 all the twos today um and um you're right at the beginning of your writing career. And you've got a lot of concentrated advice there, actually, Rebecca, which I hope is useful to you and you appreciate. Let's see what the scoreboard looks like. And the chat room had three, because they are very lovely people in the chat room and like to encourage writers. Um, so we've got two 45s, a 55, and an 85, and just one more submission to go to see if Aaron's giant in the shadow can be toppled or not. Thank you, Eddie. It's a great pleasure. Nice having you along live. Why do you join us, actually? I think I think you'd fit in. I think you would. I want to ask uh, Louisa something about writing for uh, YA. What's what's your exact um, age group? Is there is there a specific one for you? 
Um, I think probably about 14 plus. I mean, these these age groups, they're, they're a p- oh. perpetual source of frustration, really, aren't they? They Lots really of people are. people who read my yeah. books are grown-ups. Um, they're really not suitable for very young teenagers. So when, yeah. you, when I say young adult, I really do mean young adult. There's, yeah. the, the themes are, um, you know, quite um, confronting in some ways. And yeah. um, they're, they're asking for the readers to come with some kind of maturity and um uh, and yeah they, they could be upsetting or shocking these kind yeah. of things so i think it's 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 that kind of 14 plus yeah one of the things i love about this 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 section of publishing which really i guess i suppose really is where my heart lies actually is that you know the most of the publishers i know are just obsessed with it they know they're doing some good actually you know publishing you know work that i mean provides entertainment is wonderful in any in any case and that applies to all publishing but there's something very special about writing this particular age group because you can change lives and sometimes you can save lives as well actually you can address you can you can go straight for the jugular you can get right into really big substantial issues in a way that other writing doesn't seem to do and and so the publishers are often highly motivated as well aren't they so so motivated yeah. yeah um i think i think you're you're absolutely right these books are, are written specifically for young people and um we're, we're kind of trying to find those those readers well i certainly am who maybe don't see themselves represented elsewhere yeah. in um in on, on tv or in other yeah. media or if they do say it see themselves represented it's in a poor light and there, mm. there's that feeling that they're they're not as valuable or or worth as much as somebody well, this is true of all your all your heroines are made to feel as if they're sort of rejects or different or they they don't fit uh-huh. in um uh-huh. it's all about alienation as far as you're concerned i mean i don't want to psychoanalyze you yes i do <laughs> yes i you do you really really where, don't where does that come from then louisa where does it come from tell us where does it come um, from I think when I was um, probably a young person, I felt really um, different. Um, my mum my made me go to a school when I was uh, secondary school where I knew nobody, and I just had the most awful year of my life when I mm. joined that school to, to try and fit in and mm. find that place. And I think that's just stuck with me as a, as a, as a, a really defining experience in my life, that feeling mm. that are you good enough who are your friends where do you fit here so it's something that i, I revisit a, a fair amount but uh, yeah there that, are that other was when you, you were a young person and these days now to, let's let's take young females for example you know with social media i mean surely it's got even worse hasn't it i mean definitely i, I don't know but you're a teacher you know you're on the front line of yeah things. it has got worse and i think it's been really really hard for young people with the the pandemic as well the the yeah. kind of being closed off from and separated from each other for such long periods of time mm. and all of the stress that's piled on with school as well i mean people say oh there's no exams this year well actually it's if you ask me it's it's just as bad as it always is so young people are under such a huge amount of stress and then when you put on top of that the the you must look like this or be like behave like this mm. be interested in this and we have loads of amazing individual young people um who are not afraid to be themselves but it's those ones who who do find it difficult or do yeah. feel like they're picked yeah. on for being a certain way you want I, i'm kind of speaking to those people i think yeah well that's like 
95% of all adolescents, really, and 100% of all writers, because all writers are definitely different people. I mean, they wouldn't be writers yeah. unless they yeah. saw the world in a slightly different way. So what's, what's your sort of heroine's journey then? So it's one of alienation, not feeling part of the group, feeling rejected, feeling isolated, feeling, you know, not worthy. Um, what's the resolution you, you take us through to? Because there's got to there's be some sort of positive outcome, hasn't there? Sure, yeah, yeah. There's usually some sort of fight back and some sort of comeback. And then there there, there tends to be this kind of almost like a, a, a finding a new way and seeing that the, the world is a bigger place than you originally think. And there are more people out there maybe that you've not yet found. You can find your new group. You don't have to change yourself to be accepted by, by others. Just find the people who are going to love you for who you are. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice positive message, Ali. Oh, oh, absolutely. That <laughs> works for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a positive message. And that's so important. The hopefulness that, that yeah. um, being quite a dark person, my first drafts all, always always have a, a really miserable ending. And then I have to go back and change it and bring in the light and, and hope yeah. and, and make sure that, 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 that there is that positivity there. Yeah, that's brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Louisa. Let's see now. Let's back to the, the fierce cutthroat world of uh, <laughs> literary agenting. Good luck today, if our fellow writer says Spikey. Ooh, I know who that is. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, last part of that word there. It's probably Paul Anglis, isn't it? There's a QR code there that Paul has very kindly uh, let us have. So we can go off to Paul's. A recondite corner of the internet, see what he wants us to uh, go and have a look at. This is his title, in Investigations of the Para-Usual. That's been chopped off there because we only give uh, certain amount of characters for titles, but I can tell you the title is that, is the Investigations of the Para-Usual by Paul Anglis. He's got sort of E. Cummings type um, um, punctuation and stuff, capitalisation. This is Paul's blurb. Joining the near-defunct defunct government department <laughs> like that the investigations of the para-usual maverick academic professor breville o singh believes he may bestow upon mankind the ultimate gift the key to all knowledge but knowledge is a prized commodity coveted by mighty institutions the government the media big corporations Haplessly, and not until it's too late, does O-Sing realise that he's precipitated a climate change catastrophe. This is a Life of Brian story for the 21st century. I'm going to tell you about Paul, who's with us now. Fantastic. Good to have you along, Paul. Um, I'm a wanderlusting Londoner and father. Upon completing a biology degree, I recognise the dolphin training opportunities in Hackney and emigrated to Australia. Uh, there I entered magazine publishing, then travelled overland from Australia back to London. Back in England, I wrote a couple of semi-fictitious travelogues, then wrote and performed a play called Planet of the Apes, The Dolly Grips Cut. I worked with a TV producer, wrote a spoof documentary series, and got to work with the director of my favourite comedy, The Day Today. I know who that is. <laughs> Uh, yes, I do know who that is. I might have had something to do with his wedding some years ago. Um, 
since I've done stand-up comedy, written sketches for Radio 4, and won a national comedy short film competition. I self-published a satire shedding new light on the behaviour of the sexes titled Sperm and Eggs. I think I've vaguely heard of that. All right. So, um, obviously, this is a, a, a larger-than-life story, I would say. I, I, I would voucher. I would vouchsafe. We need a larger-than-life reading from Kate. The Investigations of the Parausual by Paul, read by Kate. Starless and Bible Black. If we human beings have one flaw, then it is having arms too short to flannel wash the middle of our upper back. If we have one other, it is a limited ability to understand the consequence of events as they unfold. And thus, we learn very often after the fact. In recent times, dog owners were required to buy a license for a not insubstantial sum of money. Only in retrospect did they question why, observing that a TV license cost more for a colour than a monochrome set. Why then did we pay more for a dog license, they protested, only too late, when the dog sees only in black and white? And yet we know that hindsight is a wonderful thing, for without it we would never get to magnificently gloat, I told you. Some perspective is required. Perhaps in the round we should say that man has benefited from hindsight well enough in the past, and that it will prove to be a perfectly adequate tool for learning belatedly of the climate's tipping point. Of some specific event in our recent past, some undeniable harbinger of climate change that would, had we known of its import, demanded from us panic and urgent, desperate collective action to avert the annihilation of the planet. If there ever was any hope of heading off climate change, it could only come with knowledge, with one person, one mortal being, knowing not just things but far more than we now know. A being, perhaps, whose quest it was to know everything. Somebody who had in his grasp how we might save the planet. The answer to whether or not we should call the meat from a guinea pig, guinea pork. The final word on the conundrum, do quadruplets talk about themselves in the fourth person? Question is, would he find the answers before the untimely death of the planet? Candyman His announcement to the big stage, his grand introduction to the masses, was as a blur. A blur that swam then resolved into a jerky handheld camera image of a bear-shaped man, or perhaps a man-shaped bear. Professor Breville O. Singh was a figure as imposing as a Cassius Clay, albeit one that looked sorry for the imposition, for the professor was apologetically large. Anticipation ran high, close on the heels of expectation. The audience was tuning into the first episode of the television documentary. Some among them imagined the presenter, the man with the preposterous claim that he could teach us everything, magnificently self-indulgent. Is this show for real, they demanded to know, or is it some vehicle, some narcissistic project? Is that it? Does the host think that the whole world revolves around him? 
Professor O Singh would be appalled to know that the masses ever entertained such a thought. He was not to know that soon enough it would. O Singh stood in the hangar-like square-eye studios, contemplating not so much the destruction of his documentary set as a precious opportunity to study what a stone ager would make of 21st century technology. The troglodyte was grimacing intently, precision dismantling the studio camera, chewing a lens cap. Heedless of the camera operator lunging at him tentatively, clapping his hands vigorously in non-congratulatory discouragement. At that moment in time, as his dream was being destroyed, Oh Singh sensed that he was blessed, that his time had finally come. They are taking our studio apart, he marvelled under his breath in his soft South African lilt. Across the floor at the side of a makeup artist sat frozen in her canvas chair was the caveman's spouse, picking what she had decided to be knits from her victim's hair, virtual knits. Oh Singh became aware then of a man at his feet wielding a handheld camera, hungrily capturing his reactions. OMGA! exclaimed a diminutive figure, stepping out from the shadows into the studio glare with a takeaway coffee in hand. You'd think it'd be easier getting around with a chauffeur. You poor sweetheart, mewed Mike Baby, tripping across the set to greet his collaborator. The producer-director was sporting a teddy bear-designed t-shirt, a brand of toddler chic favoured by ironic creatives. All right, straight to Ali. It's tickling the fancy of many people in the chat room, but does it tickle yours? Um, it, it, the answer is he can write. Um, I, I loved his bio and thought that was really well put together and actually very amusing, but I didn't quite get that from this. I, I felt this was heavier and, and a bit cloggier, and I know it's sort of an attempt to be almost philosophical with it, um, but I, I found the humour slightly more embedded as it were some bits i absolutely loved you know the bloke being apologetically large you know i think oh, great what a lovely turn yeah. of phrase you know yeah. and some of the some of the phrases and the bits and pieces were just great um but i, I just felt it the beginning was sort of slightly treacly and then we ended up in this very strange scene with a caveman taking everything apart you know and again <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to be involved in this i'd like to know what's happening here you know it, it sounds like a lot of fun a lot of action going on but i didn't quite know where it came from so yeah. so I, I found it just a little little odd and I think things which are odd you know if you can get away with it if you can make it string together and, and make it interesting and fun then then you can get away with it but things which are just odd almost for the sake of being odd yeah. uh, whereas I know I mean he can write you know so uh, it yeah. was it was a slightly odd one for me well, okay, so Rachel in the chat room saying I'm lost Hannah says don't know where this is going um, mm. yeah I entirely Martin agree. says mm. love the rye voice definitely read on four from me um Bravelo Singh says Johnny, very wacky name, Vagabond, good, not making me laugh. I think everyone was very positive to begin with, slightly less positive to, as, as, it, as it went on. Feel the prologue, says Annie, it's a bit heavy, kind of buried the good jokes. The actual chapter needs to be grounded a little more because the idea is fun but didn't fully work for me. I'll go for a three. Annie knows what she's talking about. She's been on last week. Uh, Ali, um, did you, uh, the words uh, Douglas and Adams have been uh, used a lot. <laughs> Um, were you a Douglas Adams fan? 
Um, I read a bit, but a long time ago. Didn't um, really. Yeah, you, you're not. You don't worship uh, at a shrine. No, no, no. no. Have <laughs> we got a feeling I, if you if you were a Douglas Adams fan, you'd really like this? Were you, Louisa? Nope. No, nope. sorry, it's all not. Right. It's not my thing, really, at all. And um, but you know, as Ali said, this this writer can write. That is yep. definitely there's no question. But what what what? I mean, what's going to happen <laughs> now? And, and who are these people? And why am I reading this? I just didn't really, I didn't really know. Um, I was waiting, waiting, but I couldn't. And, and there were some witty turns of phrase and, and so were. on and so forth. There but were. I just felt we were we were bogged down, and uh, it wasn't. It was not. Yes. For me, as a reader, I wasn't thinking ha, 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 hilarious or yeah. ooh intriguing. There was there was a lot to be desired. Sorry. If I blindfolded you right now and said, "Can you tell us what the story is?" Would you be able to do that? No. No. Okay. No. Possibly no more story no. then. Possibly a bit Definitely more story. Definitely needs to be more story. And right. um, there's a clearly we've got a main character, but um, what is he doing? Um, what the hell's going on with this main character? I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, give us a number. It's. Um, oh, it's hard because. <laughs> Oh, I can feel. Obviously, can the, feel. the writer can write, so they should get a, a decent, a decent mark. But, but actually, you've got to be true. You've got to be true to your heart. It's a two for me. Sorry. <sighs> sorry. I felt, I felt like go in. It, 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 it stabbed me. I, it was like an arrow to the knee. It went in that hard, <laughs> Ali. <laughs> I actually, I'll give it a three because I do, I do think they can write. Um, yes, but. I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think we need a story. We need to understand who the main character is. Yeah. We need to emphasise. It's just a, it's quite a lot of stuff missing for the sake of being quirky. So yeah, um, we, I would like uh, some story, please. It would. Could you give us a bit of story, please, Paul? That would be nice. Some story. Then I think you're away. And just thinking about Douglas Adams and why shouldn't we for a moment? Um, I was also thinking a bit Terry Pratchett as well, actually, but Terry Pratchett does do story as well. Um, the thing, you know, if uh, what what kicked off Douglas Adams, I remember when I was working in advertising years ago, and Douglas Adams made it big. And the thing that made him big was radio. And I was in Newcastle. I'd just flown into Newcastle for a day with a client up there. And he picked me up at the airport, and we were going to town. And he said, we've got to stop now. He just stopped by the side of the road. He literally just stopped by the side of the road and said, now, we've got to listen to this. And it was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's the first time I'd ever come across it. And I thought, I thought to myself, if, if you can have that effect on, on, you know, on the ordinary listening public, you're away. And that's the sort of impact that, you know, you've, got, you, you've just got to make people feel that degree passionately. Not quite getting that yet, but I think you will with a bit of, bit of story. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go through it. And Paul says, I'm going for mystery where you don't know where it's going at first. I think you brilliantly succeeded at that, Paul. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure that's what we want. Let's see how the numbers look. All right, the uh, chat room at three as well. That means you've got a very decent, creditable 55, because a bit more story, you get more points. More story, more points. Ah, we're at that point in the show where uh, I have to start pressing the end buttons rather sadly. Make your pop-up submission. Subs.latopia.com And that's how you do it. 
And now, moment of truth for you, Ali. Do you want to change any of your votes at all? No. No, I'm happy with my votes and I will You're stick comfortable. with my votes. You're comfortable. Fantastic. Yeah. Same to you, Louisa. By the way, thank you so much for coming on. It's always such a pleasure to get you on, on the show. We try very hard to, to get the top stars, and you're certainly one of them. <laughs> oh, well, I try to do my best. Um, but yes, thanks for having me. It's been fun, but I'm going to stick with my scores. You're going to stick with your scores, right? Don't it's over forget to you to now. on today's show. Yeah, absolutely over to you. Lutopia.com slash vote. Six and a half days to exercise your preference. Thank you, everyone, who's made today's show what it is. I think it's quite good, apart from my scrub at the beginning. If you've enjoyed it, why don't we do it all again next week? <laughs>